0: anti-culture listeners thank you for joining me again for our halfway mark of this season i really can't believe it's already episode five of the show so near and dear to my heart and of season three we're officially at the halfway mark and i'm so grateful for your support and love over this special season i hope you've truly enjoyed the journey so far I'm back from France this week and I have some amazing stories to share from the French capital coming in a few weeks from now, so you don't want to miss that. Consider today's episode a teaser, however, as we dive into a bit of the politics of France, Quebec, and immigration in French-speaking countries. All topics I find unexpectedly compelling, intriguing, and inspirational, even though I don't carry any French heritage. I want to invite you into this fascination with me this week. So if you've chosen to listen to this one, you're in for a treat because I've put a lot of thought, time, and love into this episode. If you're into that kind of thing and you enjoy talking about culture, you're curious about the world around you, and you love people for who they are, make sure you're subscribed to the show as well, wherever you get your podcasts so that you're up to date, because I really think the best is yet to come. On that note, I will not be releasing an episode next week. However, the show will be resuming on November 22nd. So in the meantime, if you've been enjoying the show, I would love it if you did hit subscribe, if you left me a review, if you're feeling particularly generous, and if you'd share the show on your socials. I would also invite you to consider being a Patreon supporter to get early access to new episodes, exclusive content, and help me on my journey on this passion project of mine so I can continue to build this vision. You can find me and read more about my story at patreon.com/slash Josiah Podcast. That's Patreon P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Josiah Podcast, J-O-S-I-A-H podcast. A big shout out to all my existing supporters. You've helped make this possible. For those of you just tuning in, my name is Josiah Sinanin and I am your culturally ambiguous and culturally mixed host. And no, this show technically isn't against culture, as the name would imply, but rather, It is against the concept of culture that we have come to form, namely in the Western world. I've spent the last three years exploring the stories of people. People you would be keen to designate a box to, but people who have stories you wouldn't believe or expect them to have. At the end of the day, people are beautiful, and I'm convinced that someone's true culture isn't necessarily based on their background, but rather the unique mix of experiences and perceptions that someone holds to, which we can never access unless we begin to ask questions. So why would we stay living in a world that limits the people around us to categorizers when we can hear something incredible and valuable instead? Because I'm culturally ambiguous myself and come from a mixed background, the concept of culture has always intrigued me. But today's episode in particular is one I'm very excited to share with you. This episode of Anti Culture with Josiah Sinanin is brought to you by TELUS World of Science Edmonton home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. This is a new exhibition running from October 19th until February 17th in Edmonton that you aren't going to want to miss. It features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements to bring the Marvel Universe to life. This is huge for Alberta, and the exhibit will feature a chance to experience a thrilling soundscape by composers Lorne Balfe and Hans Zimmer, as well as a chance to see rare hand-drawn images of iconic heroes such as Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Captain America. 2019 is also the 80th anniversary of Marvel, so this is a great way to celebrate. This is the only place in Canada to see this special exhibit, so make sure you buy your tickets today at telusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. This episode of Anticulture is also brought to you by ATB. You won't believe where your everyday banking can take you. Each month, ATB is giving away two prizes of $20,000 plus a $5,000 bonus prize. It's just another way they say thank you to their amazing customers. Make sure you're in this month's draw, and that could be you. Learn the details on how to maximize your chances of winning at atb.com slash deposit. People who know me well know that I am definitely a bit of a Francophile. I love French culture, and I have, since my first French language lesson in kindergarten, almost 20 years ago. For some reason, the idea of accessing a culture with a strong sense of identity felt familiar to me. I was used to being fascinated by my dad's story of the Caribbean country he grew up exploring, but I was also used to appreciating and loving the vast and diverse province of Alberta where my mom's family boasted a few generations. Here was another chance for me to practice my adoption and appreciation of a third culture, one that seemed ripe with wonderful people. A rich history and that i could access within the walls of one of my sacred spaces school what i didn't realize throughout my years and years of french lessons continuing even when it became an option in high school and my class was reduced to four people and again still into my degree of international relations at the university of calgary was that by some freak chance all of my french language professors came from a european background yes we spoke of quebec and canada's french history But we often bypassed the Quebecois slang or we ignored the pronunciation guidelines from the Canadian side of things. Honestly, this was completely by chance and as a Canadian, I ended up speaking Parisian standard French. I couldn't even pretend to speak in a Quebecois accent without feeling embarrassed. This would certainly come to benefit me in 2015, where the stars aligned and I got to live in Paris for a semester abroad, a dream come true for my young Francophile ways. However, when I travelled to Montreal in 2012, my first French culture experience outside of Alberta, I was very disappointed when I couldn't understand anyone, even though I thought I was fairly confident in my French. By contrast, from the moment I touched down in Paris, I was able to have an hour and a half French conversation with my family's taxi driver without any issue, for the first time in my life feeling so powerful and excited about the ability to access this culture I have admired for most of my life through the key of language. Since these experiences, I've come to learn so much about the French world, and it truly is a world of its own. You don't think about how the world looks to a country like France when you grow up in the English world, and it is arguably just as vast and diverse as the English-speaking world itself, but with so many differentiators that we don't understand until we come to learn them. This knowledge gives us a newfound love and admiration for a history that runs parallel to ours in many ways, but looks awfully different. Today's show was initially going to explore the discrepancy or misinterpretation, depending on who you talk to, between France and Quebec. In some ways, it still does touch on that subject, but I flipped it a bit on its head, speaking with two dear friends of mine, an Algerian in Montreal, Zina, and a Brazilian in Paris, Pedro. For those who don't know, Algeria has a long-standing history with France and one that is often painted negatively as an ex-colony. We'll explore this side of the picture with Zina, also talking about her experience living in Quebec today. Pedro, on the other hand, though Brazilian, lives in Paris and followed a fascinating path to discovering a hidden French heritage in his lineage, which now solidifies and shapes his identity in a very unique way. Honestly, I'm so proud to know these two amazing people. I admire them. I find their stories so intriguing and beautiful, and I think they were meant to be on the show today. I want to begin today with the story of Zina. A friend who I met here in Calgary, where she was born, but someone I truly connected with in Montreal during the aforementioned visit. We attended a conference together on the cusp of my second year of studies, when the idea of living in France was just a twinkle in my eye. And during this conference, I would actually come to learn for the first time about the NGO I interned with in Sierra Leone four years later, all thanks to the wonderful words of Omatara Johnson, who's a guest I had on episode one of season two last year. Evidently, this conference was huge for me, and ironically, another story I was told when I was there, in a way I'd never heard it before, was the story of Quebec being abandoned by France and how their unique identity was formed. Long story short, for those of you who don't know, most people in Canada know that Quebec was New France, the colony extension overseen by Samuel de Champlain as France expanded its territories in the 1600s. Fast forward almost 200 years to an iconic moment in Canadian history, the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, where Britain officially won Quebec from the French, making Canada what it largely is today. Most students in Canada know this story, but it begs the question, why is Quebec still so distinct today? Why does the language survive in our country? Why are all the signs in Quebec still in French? Why do we still learn French in school, if that's the case? There are a lot of reasons for this, largely the sense of identity that formed in New France during this period and over the 200 years prior, but an often overlooked part of the story, which I heard for the first time during this conference, is the story of the abandonment that happened. France was in a position of choice during this time in history, with limited resources at hand. The choice of deciding which of their territories they could truly fight for. Either they could send the majority of their forces to the Caribbean to secure their settlements there. Or they could send reinforcements to New France and Quebec, where they knew many of their people had resettled. Here's a hint. Technically, Martinique and Guadeloupe, two islands in the Caribbean, are still considered France today. And contrary to popular assumption, they are not their own countries. They speak French and they use euros. Yes, France chose to save the resources, namely sugar, from these islands over the plight of their own settled people. I think this is easy to write off as a matter of logic to some, given the historical context, but imagine being in the position of the Quebecois people. During an intense battle, you're awaiting the French ships to come around the bend of the St. Lawrence River and secure your identity and your destiny in a land you've come to love, and a land that you initially settled, only to see no one come to your support. I'd like to mention for the anti-colonialists listening that the French settlers in Canada actually had a reputation for working alongside the Indigenous peoples in a truly unique way, adopting much of their lifestyle, speaking their languages, and effectively mixing cultures in a way that the British simply did not take the time to do. These people were fighting to preserve something truly special that France failed to recognize. This sense of abandonment from their mother country would have been devastating culturally, incredibly confusing, and the ultimate betrayal a really unique look in history at something that affected the identity of a peoples for generations, and technically one that happened in recent history. This meant a lot of things for people from Quebec, and allowed them to develop the distinct culture they carry today, including the way they speak French. So what does the relationship between France and Quebec look like today? Well, it's complicated, and it depends on who you ask. We'll be exploring more with my guests today, and in any case, I find it so interesting that perhaps it is this single incident that creates such a sense of tension or distance between Quebec and France today. I've always been intrigued by this, alongside the language difference between these two entities as I've mentioned, both of which, by the way, I do love very much, even though I still can't quite get the Québécois twang to my French. This episode I want to start with a story of my friend Zina Ukil, who is well aware of this history, but also of her own. Coming from an Algerian background and now living and working in Montreal. So let's dive in. All right, so I'm talking to Zina Ukil. Is that how you say your last name?
1: Yeah, you got it.
0: Nice. Zina and I connected many years ago in Calgary. Zina's from Montreal. Yeah, we just kind of hit it off and haven't talked in a while and now we're back together and she's helping me out with this episode, kind of talking about French identities. And specifically, I found your story to be so fascinating because you have Algerian background, Mm -hmm. you live in Montreal,
1: you speak Mm -hmm. French,
0: you just have a rich history. So I wanted to kind of dive into the cultural aspect of who you are. But before we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words how you culturally identify and where are you living right now? What's going on?
1: Well, I actually grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and then I moved to Montreal for university where I double majored in communications and political science. I was definitely originally born in Algeria. My mother is also from a Russian background. We moved to Calgary yeah, when I was eight years old because my mom works in the oil industry actually she's a petroleum geologist and Calgary was just the best place to go for that so we spoke french at home but of course i was surrounded by a very anglophone culture and i started to kind of lose my french and it was french is an important part of who i am where i come from all the historical intricacies that, you know, are linked to it. And so by a series of, you know, events, I ended up in Montreal and studied there and I worked there. In terms of how I identify myself culturally, I'd say I identify as a Canadian. I mean, since I grew up here and I relate mm-hmm. most to the Canadian Western culture. Yeah. Cause that's just where I grew up. I think When I came to Montreal, I didn't think it would be so different. Um, And I actually experienced a culture shock because of the French, because of the Québécois culture and I found that my background Algeria was colonized by the French from France and they have a slightly different culture well it's very different including the way that they speak French and so even Mm -hmm. when I spoke French it didn't feel included I still felt like an outsider and adjusting to the culture was interesting because it's very different it's not necessarily the same culture as the culture in France. And even today, I've been in Montreal now for seven, eight years. When I speak in French, I have a French accent. It comes out. And now I know how to navigate speaking to Quebecers and like the tone Hmm. that you use and even the posture, your posture. And it's a little bit more like, I wouldn't say rough and tough, but a little more like there's a sense of confidence that they have that you have to project when you speak there's just a sense of humor that they have too that's really like entangled and and again everyone's different, not all Quebecers are made <laughs> in the same way. Right. But yeah, I actually felt more alienated when I came to Quebec, realizing just how how much more different I was. But yeah. it made me grow in terms of my Algerian identity, which I was completely disconnected from. And I saw that. When I spoke, I had more of an affinity with the French from France. And I also realized how I'm separated from my culture, my Algerian culture I was when I interacted Mm. with people from Algeria. And there's a lot more people from Algeria and Montreal because it is almost like the entry point from Europe and North Africa into Canada. And also because it's French, so you will find a lot of European culture and influences here And therefore, it's more natural to have a lot of people from Europe. We have whole boroughs, like whole neighborhoods that are just French. You know, we're like, oh, this is the plateau. Mm -hmm. It's the French neighborhood. (laughs) There's a lot more French cafes. There's a lot more French influence. Or we even have pockets like we have little Italy and we have the Arab corner where you find a lot more immigrants and people from the Middle East.
0: That's very neat. And so there's a lot of great stuff that you said just before, but I'm curious. So you said that you really had a sense of otherness when you came to Quebec that you weren't really Mm -hmm. expecting, but growing up in Calgary, did you feel like you also had that experience just um, being a second generation Canadian, or was that more of a welcoming space that was easy to grow up in? How -hmm. would you compare Calgary and Quebec in that way?
1: I would say that The first one to two years of living anywhere new is their transition years, no matter where Mm. you go. And I remember when I was eight years old and I came straight from Algeria to Calgary. Yeah, there was a shock there too. It was different, but I mean, I had to learn English you know, I brought food at school that was Russian influence and Algerian influence that a lot of kids didn't see. I also spoke with a very French accent and I was put in an immersion school and some of the kids were Quebecois. And so they'd make fun of my accent. It was different to them. I'm like, why are they making fun of me? I speak French just like them. (laughs) But I would say that Calgary has always felt like home and the Western culture has warmth to it. And the French culture definitely has a warmth to it. But For me, in terms of integration and being rooted, I found that, yeah, I found my people. I found my space in Calgary after those first two years of transition. I would say that now being in Montreal for seven, eight years, I have found my people. I'm
0: imagining that you've probably also spent some time in France. And I guess I'm wondering if you could maybe provide people that maybe don't have an idea a little bit of an outline of how Algeria and Algerians are perceived in France and being an Mm ex-colony, what that experience is like in terms of your own cultural identity.
1: Yeah, that's an intense question. (laughs) It is. Yeah, feel free to unpack it. We can can break it up. Let's jump into it. So I actually have never been to France, which is... No way. Yeah, but I can definitely answer that question. I think being in Montreal and being faced with Just being surrounded by more Algerians and more French people, you're bound to run into your roots and have to face it. Yeah, France colonized Algeria for about 100 years. However, there was a lot of civilian unrest because they did not treat the Algerians as equal to the French, and they were almost treated like second-class citizens. And so the Algerians started to revolt, and... They wanted their independence, and so there was a party called the FLN, who um, just started to build momentum for a revolution. And in 1962, they were able to achieve that. Algeria gained independence, and they kicked out the French. And a lot of the French who immigrated to Algeria and who were sent back were called Pianois. So. Blackfoot, And yeah, they moved back to France and Algeria became its own kind of governing power. And it was messy. And yeah.
0: From that point, um, a lot of Algerians still speak French. That's mm-hmm. kind of surprising to me, especially if there was a bad taste in their mouth about the French colonizers.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because I mean... It's normal, considering they were occupied for a hundred years, that that French influence was still very prevalent. And there was definitely tension in society in regards to that, where there are people who wanted to separate themselves from anything French. And then there are people who saw separating from France as a big mistake because France brought so much culture to Algeria. And also within the government itself, there's a movement to be more secular in a way, And then there's a very Muslim movement that just wants to just make it more of a Muslim country. So, there's this tension still today. And I would say now there's less and less French influence because it's not – it used to be taught in school. It used to be more prevalent in education. Now, if you meet Algerians, a lot of them will still speak French, but – the newer generation don't as much. So now, as the years are have passed, you kind of you're we're seeing this uh, loss of grip in terms of the French culture and the French mm. influence in Algerian society. Uh, I remember when I was in Algeria, we had a very close family friend. His name was Perlique, and he was a French priest. And he was best friends with my grandfather and my dad. He was an amazing, an amazing man. For him, his ministry and his calling was Algeria. And the reason we left Algeria was because there was that civil unrest and there were uh, radical groups that were targeting anyone that had French affiliations or money or whatever, whatever it was. So you'd find bombings in school, on the streets, like it was just not really safe. And we actually had to choose between France and Canada. And my parents chose Canada, which is why we came here. But we didn't feel unsafe, like we had this French affiliation. I mean, I spoke French as well at home. Yeah, and I remember also being in school and we were supposed to recite an Arabic poem and I remember I totally didn't do my homework and it was my <laughs> turn to go up and recite my, my poem instead I sang the French National Anthem because oh I had heard Per sing it at home oh my, that's <laughs> so I, funny I got in so much trouble and the teacher was like, oh, you can't do that and it was just this whole thing and <laughs> I vividly remember them teaching us to fear the French and all the horrible mm. things that they did to the Algerians. And so it was interesting for me, it was like water off of a duck's back because I had that connection to someone that I knew was from France and was an amazing figure in my childhood.
0: Mm. Do you think there's a a certain group of French people and forgive me for not really knowing much, but do you think there's a group of French people like uh, Péluca who have a heart for Algeria still and are making moves to restore that relationship or has it been, you know, it's just part of history and people just kind of move on.
1: That's a great question. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. I'm sure Paul is not the only one. Yeah, I am sure of it. Specifically, if there's any organizations that are going, that are moving towards reconciliation between the French and uh, the Algerian, I don't know, but I'm sure of it without a doubt. Because I think in my time here in Montreal, I've met a lot of French people who actually were pied noirs from you know France. Their family got moved back to France, and they were born in France. And they have like you can tell they have an affinity towards Algeria, towards North Africa. There's no hate, and mind you, I've met the opposite as well. I've seen racism, but I've also I've seen a lot of people who haven't a softness towards Algeria. Yeah. And I think it exists. I think it's definitely there. Yeah.
0: Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To hear that story. And I think it's a story that a lot of people don't classically talk about. It's a little bit hidden, at least in the, in the Western world. So mm-hmm. thank you for giving us a bit of insight. I want to kind of discuss a little bit the disparity that exists historically and also a little bit today between Mm -hmm. France and Quebec. And Mm -hmm. I know you haven't been to France, but you definitely have insight into both cultures. And yeah, I wondered if you could maybe speak to that. Is that something that you see changing? And why do you think that exists, that kind of tension between French people and people from Quebec? And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just the language or if it's something more, like, what do you think?
1: I feel like... Perhaps it has to do with definitely the language, definitely the differences in doing things. Definitely the fact that essentially historically the Quebecers were a French colony that was abandoned by the French king and they were actually in war against the English at that time. So they were left alone and essentially yeah. the English won on the Abraham Plains, Les Plains mm-hmm. d'Abraham, which yeah. then determined Canada's faith in becoming an English nation. And so I actually, I think,
0: sorry to pause mm-hmm. you there. I of think course, no worries. Part of why I thought of you actually is because I think we, when I was in Montreal and we were part of that conference, I think we learned a little bit about that history and for some reason that's always stuck with me, like there mm-hmm. that image of these French people just waiting for their mother country to come and help them out, but France decided not to send their reinforcements and so there's this almost dramatic historical moment yeah. where it's like yeah. that boat didn't come across the- the saint Lawrence it's like it was the, it was the English <laughs> that came, yeah and uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wonder like how much of that maybe is still generational like it's totally. so interesting,
1: I think that At that time, it was a fight for land. And now it's, it's that fight is still alive. And Quebecers are such passionate people. And it's like they've never accepted that defeat in a way. And this is again, my Mm. subjective personal opinion. If I'm offending anyone, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) what I've noticed is that was, you know, it was a fight for land. And now it's actually a fight to preserve culture through their Mm -hmm. language. And then in that sense, you can even see that. They're more gun ho about preserving words that were used a long time ago than the French. Like even like mm-hmm. simple words like hot dog. Like in France, they call it hot dog, and here yeah. they're like chien chaud. Mind you, not everyone <laughs> uses that term, but like the I've never you know
0: heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so <laughs> like funny.
1: The diehard can be quite like chien chaud, or like you'll wow. see it in, in different words like. They'll be really adamant about translating them, making sure it's French, and even yeah. the signs um there's a law called la loi 101, law one o one where you have to have a French sign for your shop name um yeah. and it needs to be like slightly bigger by some percentage than the English sign, otherwise you get a fine and there's actually like the language police (laughs) that exists and does an audit of like businesses to make sure and otherwise they give you a ticket. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's actually like, I, for some reason, I've always like felt such a love for that. I think it's kind of beautiful that there's that fight for preservation because Mm -hmm. it's almost like this image in a lot of ways of, and I mean, it's, it's weird how similar there's some similarities to Algeria even reclaiming its own identity and making sure they preserve who they are. And Mm -hmm, um, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So it's almost in that there's almost this attitude of, we have to preserve the way we speak and our language because, you know, this has already happened in the past with France. And so we're now we're completely separate and we have to make sure we stay separate. And we also Mm -hmm. need to make sure we stay separate from the Anglophone Canadians because Mm -hmm. of our history Mm. And it's cool that that births a sense of pride rather than a sense of shame or, you know, shrinking back. It's more like we are proud to be who we are. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing.
1: It's true. It's very true. There's such a fire and a passion and art that uh, Quebecers all have. And yeah, it, it is beautiful. I agree with you 100%.
0: That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So can you maybe break down for me what it means to you now that you say that you're Canadian? How do you view that? Especially because... You know, you're from the West, you speak French, now you mm-hmm. live in Montreal. <laughs> what does being Canadian mean to you as someone who's had the experience you've had?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I realized that I identify more as a Canadian when I've actually gone back to Algeria. And even this summer I traveled to Sweden. And every time I leave Canada and I, I go anywhere else to travel for whatever reason, I find myself eager to come back because there's nowhere like Canada. Canada is so diverse. It's so multicultural. I, I remember going to Algeria for the first time, going back since I came here when I, I was eight, and people over there called me an immigrant. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know you're born here, but you're an immigrant. You you <laughs> do not speak Arabic. You know, you don't conform to this society. You're an immigrant culturally. Right. And it was true, and it was interesting. I was like, oh, my gosh, but these are my people. But I don't... <laughs> Fit. <laughs> and yeah yeah, going to the States, which is an Anglophone country, experiencing that different culture and realizing like, yeah, I, I feel Canadian. I associate more to Canada, the yeah, yeah just in a lot of ways. And I, I think that the thing that I love the most about Canada is that because everyone... Here is an immigrant, except for the natives. Everyone is an immigrant. I just feel such a sense of belonging and also the ability to say, I'm Canadian, but I'm also Algerian and Mm -hmm. Russian. And I can honor where I come from with the ability to say that I'm Canadian. And I'm on a journey to also learning. More and more where I come from without that being an insecurity for me because we're, there's just so much in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I'd say I'm in the process of learning about my heritage without shame because as a canadian i have space to discover who i am more and more every day because i know that i'm not the only one who comes from here moved here who you know and i'm not the only immigrant here either and and some people will definitely act like they own this place but canada is owned by a collective that's why it's canada and that's, that's why I feel like a Canadian, because of that. Because Canada is owned by the mass, by the we're a collective of cultures put together. But yeah, yeah. I love it. It's, I'm Canadian because that's what Canada is for me.
0: You previously mentioned that you have a very strong history with the language and it's very important to you. And I think there's always something with French people, whether you're from Quebec or from France, where mm-hmm. the language is this beautiful thing that is just par- such a strong part of what makes French people French. And and I've learned a lot of French myself and spent time in both places. And I just, I really love the language myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wanted to hear kind of your thoughts with that. Like how yeah. important is the language to you and why is it important to you? Yeah. What's special about it?
1: I think that French is such a beautiful language. And often you'll hear like, oh, French is a romantic language. And it <laughs> I think it definitely is. I agree with that. And i I feel like whether it's French from Quebec or whether it's French from France, the language is a representation of the people behind it and the soul of the people from that nation. It's like... Their spirit is in a way, if I were to compare it to something, it's like it, it's conveyed through the language. So that's why there's such an attachment to it, because your spirit is a part of you. It's a strong part of who you are. It it defines you. And so mm-hmm. when you look at the French language, in France, you see there's a poetic tune to it, just even the intonation in the way that you say things and How there's like a million different words like to say one thing, but all of them Mm -hmm. have a variation of that one thing and are used in different ways. Like it just kind of shows the intelligence of its people and it shows like the depth of who they are. And yeah, it's so when you find someone that speaks your language, you essentially you speak a language and you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. in it. So when you find, and you find yourself in that language. So when you find someone that speaks that same language in that same way with that same cultural kind of framing, then you feel at home and Mm -hmm. language is a way to communicate what's inside. Yeah. It's a channel to communicate culture and who that person is within that culture. And so that's why it's super, super, super important for the Quebecois people here who have been fighting for their identity because- yeah. yeah, they are unique. They are different. They're not the English. They're the French, you know, And yeah. but also they've had different experiences in terms of adapting to Canada as it's evolved into a country, you know, collaborating with the natives and also just growing mm-hmm. and developing into today. And that is represented through the way that the Quebecers speak. So that's why language is super important because it reminds them of their history and how far they've come and the, the fight that they've had to put on to survive till today. And that resilience that says, no, I will not be abandoned. I am not abandoned. Well, I'm, I'm gonna try and make a place for myself here. Even though I was cut off there, I'm still strong. And I think we yeah. see that through the language and through that passion that comes out.
0: Next on the show, I am proud to introduce my friend Pedro Mitro an interview I recorded live in Paris last week. Pedro is a very special guy with a very special story, and ironically adds to this unique discussion in a way I don't think anyone else could. Everyone I know loves Pedro, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing from him. Although originally from Brazil, Pedro has not had one solid identifier his whole life, and his insight into the French culture comes to light, not just from living in Paris for 10 years, but also through his long lost French heritage. We also talk Quebec, Parisian stereotypes, and what it means to really be French. So without further ado, meet Pedro.
2: So, uh, yeah, I'm Pedro. I'm 29 years old. I live in France, but I was originally born in Brazil. I work for a church, Hillsong Church, here in France. And i nice. am been married two years with a Brazilian girl that I met here in France. Nice. So, yeah, it's a
0: whole... All in the family again. (laughs) There you go.
2: We speak Portuguese at home. Cool. That's nice.
0: Yeah. So given that bit of background, how do you right now culturally identify yourself?
2: So like I said, I was born in Brazil, but from a fifth generation Italian family and a seventh generation French family. Oh, crazy. So my parents are descendants of immigrants, and I've always kind of had that lean in towards Europe a little bit. So even at home, you know, growing up, we kind of always looked out elsewhere, you know. I wouldn't necessarily identify as Brazilian, but I wouldn't identify as French or Italian either. You know, we, we always spoke Portuguese at home. We, yeah. We ate rice and beans, you know
0: what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah.
2: Brazilian. So you, had
0: that, you had that culture, but it's not necessarily how you fully identify. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've always kind of felt a little bit off, you know,
2: but in a good way. Never, yeah. never, never like you know. I don't belong or anything like that. Just um, you know, there's something else here. Then yeah. Then I, I went to high school in the States. So oh yeah. I did that. Love that. Love traveling so much that I decided I'm um, I'm not done yet. So yeah. Left to Europe. I was 19 years old and it's been here
0: ever since. So Ten years. It's been Ten years. Crazy. So how did you end up ultimately in France? Given that journey. Well, yeah, basically, you know, being of European ascent, I had
2: the paperwork, basically, you know, I had a passport and decided, you know, I'm going to travel and, and yeah. I love. Going to the States so much that I decided, you know, I'm not done and I want to see the rest of the world. So, it was going to be a six-month plan. Originally, here in France, it was going to be a six-month thing. I'm going to go there, learn French, and we'll see from there. You know, maybe to Italy after that or Germany or whatever, you know. The whole idea was languages. I was passionate about languages at that time. was actually teaching English back home, back in Brazil, before moving to Europe uh, to make money to come here. Yeah, So, the, the whole idea was... I want to learn more languages and and learn other cult, you know, yeah. learn about other cultures. So.
0: And why did you choose France specifically out of all the countries you could have um, gone to? So even even though it's the farthest ascendance I have, so yeah, it is seven generations.
2: So it's 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 so far away. You know, we've completely lost touch with the family. There's still that kind of that background. It's always been there. The whole family has always talked about you know the you know maybe one day we'll right. get in touch with our French family or French side of the family. Yeah. Even my dad growing up, he would sometimes remember these flashes of when he was a kid of, uh, you know, letters arriving from cousins and uncles back in France. Whoa, right. Cool. And, and, uh, we completely lost touch with that side of our family actually. And, and so kind of that always stayed in, in the back of my head. And so yeah, growing up, yeah. I was like, I want to restart that connection again with that side of the family and cool. you know, see, see if, I, if I can actually find someone from the Mitra
0: family here in, right. in, in France. So, Crazy. Yeah. And so now you live in Paris, but also yeah. your whole family came, kind of came with you. So yeah. your parents are back here, yeah. your brother's here. Yeah. What was that experience like? Are you glad that everyone followed suit? And does your family kind of feel at home now in France? Yeah, definitely they feel at home. I didn't come here with,
2: like, planning, I'm going to bring everybody along. You yeah. Know, that wasn't, that yeah. wasn't the idea originally. But a few years after I arrived, my brother actually decided to come over and, and spend some time here. The plan wasn't to stay in France long term either. Being a musician, he always felt like the UK would actually be right. a better option for him potentially but he just fell in love with france as well and decided to stay cool and then a you have few years after that our parents went like well if both our sons are there we'll yeah might as well like you know move there and, yeah and keep wow. doing what we're doing but over there you know so they have they learned the language and now they both have jobs and That's that's amazing. Full
0: immigration right Yeah, seriously. Unplanned. Yeah, yeah, all because of you wanting to reconnect that part of your past. Did you ever end up connecting with that side of your family? I actually did. Yeah? I actually did. So
2: 2015 was the time where I decided that this is the time. You know, I probably have everything that I need in order to find that side of the family. Yeah. So in 2015, I went on a genealogy website and basically just started looking for that family name. And I found one little reference to a common name that I had heard as a okay. kid growing up okay. of the first French immigrant that went to Brazil. So I kind of found that family tree and it kind of goes from generation to generation to generation, <laughs> 1820s, something okay. around the, yeah. around those years, yeah. and the branch just gets lost. It just gets lost. Yeah. And then there's this guy who's like, we have no idea what happened because this guy moved to Brazil. And the name was pretty much the same name as I heard. Like, I heard it in a Brazilian way, Portuguese way, but it was pretty much the same name. So, I'm like, that might be that lost link, you know? crazy. So, I emailed the guy, you know, the proprietor of of this uh, genealogy, and I just emailed him. Hey, I saw your genealogy tree. I saw your tree, and I just thought, you know, I'd get in touch because like my name's Pedro I'm from Brazil and yeah. I've, I've always kind of heard there was a frenchman who moved to Brazil you know around that around that year and and this name is pretty similar and all yeah. that and anyways I think it might be the guy what do you think maybe 2 3 weeks after that I get an email back all saying and, and he started saying hello cousin <laughs> (laughs) It is so good to hear from you and to reestablish the link that has been lost after two hundred years. Whoa.
0: Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like,
2: (laughs) oh my gosh, there's a weight in this email. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes like, Yeah, basically our ancestors would communicate and I'm a cousin. You know, I'm a cousin, and then we kind of just started doing the connections. I came in with what I knew and he came in with what he knew. And then we established that yeah, I was a we were seventh generation cousins. So cool. And yeah, same family and also I went he actually doesn't live too far so we went over with my parents and had dinner with them one day Yeah,
0: yeah. how was that experience for you the dinner
2: this was emotional yeah to say the least he he's actually so passionate about this about genealogy and stuff and he has all the documentation in his home so he showed us all the paperwork with like signatures from 200 300 years ago with my name in it you know and basically he said you like your family because he's like he got the name from his mum's side, so he's actually he do, actually okay. doesn't have the Mitraud name, right? And that name is actually lost in France. So all the Mitrods are now in Brazil, actually. Oh wow! But, yeah, so that's interesting. Like the Crazy. branch is lost in, in France because yeah. it was basically a, a girl, a guy who moved to Brazil, and a priest so that stayed in Whoa. France, but you know never got married. Wow! So he said. Your family—they actually used to be blue colors. It's like you were mayors, you were city city hall mayors, <laughs> you were you know doctors, and and there's actually this one city where the city hall is actually called La Maison Mitro. Wow. Yeah. So I, I saw it on Google. I haven't been there actually. Okay. I have to. It's a planned trip that I have. But uh, whereabouts in France is that? Uh, it's south of Paris, uh, maybe two three hours by okay. train, not too far. Nice. So, uh, near uh, the biggest city close by would be Limoges. And he said if you go there today. I reckon they would roll out the red carpet or something, yeah, you know, yeah. because you guys are legends over there. <laughs> That's Just amazing. Like, that name has never been lost. There's a, there's streets named after you guys and
0: wow, yeah, cool.
2: Which so I I don't know I've, I'm still to go and and see for myself. Yeah, he showed me a document, a letter with the Pope's seal. Oh wow! Right, and it's written in Latin, but it's basically a wedding a ceremony okay certificate uh, the cer- like a wedding certificate yeah. between our you know Mitro guy and then some girl so the story behind it is basically if you want to marry someone that's within your family ties maybe yeah. like to you know second cousin or third cousin or something like yeah that, that this this church actually has to step in okay and basically say like approve it yeah pr- like yeah. we approve they are members of a congregation they haven't <laughs> sinned or whatever you know so we Crazy. allow them to marry and before god and nothing's gonna go wrong yeah and if the priest approves then the church can marry that, okay. that couple right so if it's like a just a regular you know everyday joe getting married to whoever's you know his second or third cousin yeah. the local priest can do that okay if it's kind of a more like maybe a more rich family or someone with more notoriety or something like that yeah Friday or something like that then the cardinal in that region would have to approve okay, okay. and if it's like someone really like important <laughs> it has to go to Rome and the pope actually has to, whoa, to approve whoa yeah. so he's like this is just to show how much of a big deal your family was back in those days wow because there's the pope seal in that you know so I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because coming no, into so talking cool. with that guy I'm like I'm like I am the Brazilian, you know, yeah. and just want to kind of, you know, just tell me, yeah. it, show me the way, to you know, master, teach me about yeah.
0: being French, you know, oh, that's so and he funny. goes like, your excellence is <laughs> like your majesty. Wow, wow. <laughs> come through my door. That's crazy. Cause what chances are there that he'd be so into genealogy. He's probably like waiting for this day to come know, almost. Yeah. That's so epic.
2: And you could tell he was really passionate about it. He like, yeah. show me all these documents. I'm like, I only have a couple
0: hours. So yeah. I'm glad I have to do this again. <laughs> yeah. You've been in Europe for ten years now, and uh, your family all came with you. And so, I kind of want to shift the discussion a little bit to talking about immigration in France and kind of how that's perceived, and yeah, just kind of how your identity has shifted as time has gone on, too. Especially with such a rich and unique story, because a lot of people, it would be easy to just write you off as not write you off as, but you know, box you or categorize you as Brazilian. Your family came from Brazil, and that's kind of the end of the story. Mm. But they would not know that. That big part of it, unless you had the chance to tell them that. So, right. as someone who kind of moved here, fresh faced and not really involved in the culture initially, mm. how do you think immigration is perceived in this country, in France? What's the general feeling about it? Yeah, I think it's tough to generalize
2: because it's such a big country, and and the culture is so different. You know, if you yeah. step outside of Paris a little bit, you know, so the French general openness to immigration and the Parisian openness to immigration right. would be two on, on two different levels I'd say, you know. Right. Paris along with like major cities like Lyon, you know, or even bordeaux you know, these are cities where it's literally a melting pot. And yeah. And people know that, you know, they know about immigration, they accept immigrants, they hire immigrants, you know what I mean? I think marry yeah. immigrants. And then the further you go into the country then maybe you get a little bit more close-mindedness about sure. maybe uh, outsiders. Yeah. So yeah, I'd I'd say here in Paris, man, this is like heaven for immigrants. You you don't even, you know what I mean. I don't think it plays so much on where you're from. It does play on how do you blend in. Right. I right. I would say, or at least that's my perspective. I yeah. Made a, an extra effort to maybe try and blend in, sure. especially at the beginning. Yeah. And I noticed immediately that I would talk different or think different or dress different you know and yeah and uh, and yeah just making making efforts towards that to right not necessarily uh become one of them but rather have a voice and and just be able to play a role in
0: society you know if I yeah. want to stay here for long term I and this is a place that yeah you did want to invest in so that makes exactly. sense yeah yeah so how much of an emphasis does the language have on that because you mentioned you had to learn and your yeah. family all had to learn How much of the language plays a role in the culture of France? Well, being passionate about languages, I'd say a major role.
2: Yeah, that's that's my opinion, but I would definitely say it plays a major role. I believe that, you know, language is the one thing that basically what defines a country or a nation or a a community is the language they speak. At the end of the day, right? If you look at Brazil and how it, it's that one massive. Land in the middle of South America where everybody else, we speak Spanish, you know, how did yeah. that define or get defined? At the end of the day, it was all about who's speaking what, you right. know what I mean? There were some lines trying to be the limit at the beginning, but at the end of the day, really yeah. got defined by yeah. here they're speaking Portuguese and here they're not, you know? Right. So I feel like, yeah, language in general does play a huge role, I'd say, in the culture. And that's why I put so much effort into learning it well and continue to put you know to put some effort into man I'm trying to enhance my my accent I'm trying to use all these expressions that you know I'm still like 10 years into it I'm still learning about expressions you know and and pop culture references you know shows that my
0: my friends used to watch when they were kids that I didn't obviously you know so yeah, I, I feel like that plays a major role. Totally. And I feel like France especially has a bit of an international reputation for being very, like, staunch about their language. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very proud of it. Very proud. The way they speak. Yeah. Th- the cadences even, it's very particular. Yeah. And I don't think I've really experienced that in other languages that well, I've, I've seen around the world. So it's really cool that France has made that such a big part of their identity. It's something that they're protecting. Yeah. And I imagine that there's beauty in that as you are discovering a language like that in a place that you're moving to.
2: Absolutely. I love it. I I love the whole idea of, you know what language is about communicating a message, conveying a message. and, And let me put it this way. I worked at a startup at one point in my life here in France, and I used to work with this like really... High-level thinker and and really in, like just a really interesting person, yeah. super intelligent. Yeah. And well, basically, we wanted to interview some some people to to hire onto the startup. So I was helping them find uh, different profiles and brought someone in who was Mexican or something like that, Spanish, okay. originally Spanish-speaking. And we interviewed the person, and they're really interesting, super cool background, really like qualified for the startup. I love them. I yeah. love the profile. And my boss, the founder of the startup, said. You're right. They are really qualified, but I have a hard time with the accent. It's almost like, do you not want to be a part of this? Do you not want Yeah You know, I I feel like in my mind, even though I see the CV, even though I see all the diplomas and everything, I automatically... Underqualify the person or, or you know, yeah. rule them out because they don't speak good French, right? Good enough French, which right. which for me was like, wow, like this actually plays a major, major role right. you know, in, in how people perceive you.
0: So, speaking of the language, I guess coming from Canada, I've had a lot of mixed reactions being here and speaking French, and when I was doing my studies, even people are very shocked that I'm from Canada because they expect me to have a Quebeco accent (laughs) and I've seen it happen where there's people from Quebec that are here and right away Parisians are like oh you're from Quebec or oh you're from Canada and then my reaction are people are like oh where are you from and I'll tell Mm. them Canada and they're like oh like how did you get your accent and I'm like well I'm not (laughs) (laughs) that kind of Canadian, (laughs) you know. Yeah, so I'm curious, now that you've been here a little while, Mm. what is your perception of Quebec and how do you think people think about People from Quebec here in Paris, specifically, what's the perception? And I guess that kind of ties into language a bit too. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
2: So the general feel that I get is not a negative one. Yeah, you know, it would be ah, you know, it's the brothers and sister out there, you know, uh, uh, you know, the other on the other side of the pond, basically. Yeah, I feel like there's still that language separation, obviously, because Mm -hmm. the accent is so distant from what you know the French would speak like here in Europe. That, yeah, there's, there's kind of that distance, that separation. But all in all, the French are really proud or really happy about their language, like you said, you know, and, and really happy that French would be spoken in anywhere in the world. Right. You know, ideally, everywhere in the world. I did actually do linguistics in, in university, and they said something interesting about Brazil, and I imagine that in Quebec, it was pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So, Lang- language is a living thing a living thing right and and they and my teacher said this i remember as if it was yesterday he said language is a living thing and when it is like a living thing when it is at its home and its birthplace it will just allow itself to develop and to live freely and to just be itself and develop into whatever it wants to develop yeah so all these expressions rise and 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 are born and different pronunciations different ways of saying things yeah in europe european languages have kind of taken that direction where Every language is kind of going the same direction, which is basically cutting down vowels, going from okay. consonant to consonant. Right? Because communication right. happens. Like chief yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. so the whole idea is if the point of language is communicating what you want to do at the end of your phrase is to have said as much as possible with the least amount of effort possible right Right. that's the general tendency of how languages should work so your bin languages where they you know they're all at their birthplace they have this kind of general tendency that we're seeing which is consonants are more and more moving from one to another as quickly as possible and we're getting rid of vowels yeah on the contrary, if you look at South America and maybe even North America, you have that accent on the vowels. You right. use a lot of sounds right. and you wanna emphasize that. And that's seen in Spanish, Portuguese, even maybe French. Yeah. And so that's one interesting thing, you know, which is basically on our side of the world, yeah. We haven't actually allowed for the language to develop itself as much because it was not it was never in its birthplace to begin with. Right. And so it it kind of closed itself in itself. And decided, in order to survive, I need right. to stay the same. So, if you want to look at how they were probably speaking, or some expressions, or maybe even some pronunciation things, back in those days when we were first colonized, at like look Quebec. at those countries. Yeah. Look at Quebec. Look at Brazil. You know, and and obviously, you know, with anglicisms and and yeah. you know, globalization, obviously now we're you know it's mostly, changing yeah, a bit, yeah, it's changing a bit. Yeah, right? but I, f- I felt that it was really
0: interesting. Yeah. Actually, I do. I remember you saying that exact thing to me years ago when okay. we talked about this and that yeah. stuck with me, too. When you said that, I was yeah. like, I actually heard like the French in Quebec is like what it would have been like in the 1600s more so than more so than what it is, what France, it is in for France. Sure. I yeah,
2: I'd say so. Which is super interesting, I
0: think. It's yeah. the,
2: it is the case for Brazil, definitely. Yeah, like vowels used to be a lot more present in the speech, you know. And today, man,
0: you go to Portugal, yeah, like it sounds like Russian almost sometimes. Crazy. Yeah. What's your experience like in Portugal? Like when you speak your Portuguese, do you feel weird? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: like we, we understand each other. So yes. Yeah. Like distant cousins like you, like you, yeah. you know, potentially Quebec and French. Right.
0: French Which is interesting because you yeah. get that experience as a Brazilian person Absolutely. in Portugal. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: But they understand what I say, I understand what it, what they right. say. Just, right. There are these expressions, you know, like always. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes they do go like, we don't use that word like that is too old no way. way you know and, Crazy. And, yeah so that, that huh. kind of st- stick with that yeah
0: i think for a lot of quebec people how they feel is like it's almost as if lots of people have had experiences where they come to france being from quebec or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um you know people will either like pretend they don't understand what they're saying or okay. like you wow. know scoff at them or something and yeah and then on a wider scale just historically which i might get into a bit on this episode, but. I think there's kind of that deep-seated generational thing of, mm. you know, France decided to send their troops to the Caribbean <laughs> instead of to North America to right. help the new France stay in Canada right. rather than because they wanted to keep their sugar in the right. Caribbean. Right, And I think there's that perception of, like, France doesn't really yeah. care about us. I and, see. Huh. So it's interesting in Quebec today because as much as they are Canadian and they, they are a big part of what makes our culture stereotypical and Definitely, yeah. But it's crazy because now, actually, just after this recent election, a lot of C- the Quebec separatism has risen up again.
2: Yeah. No. In general, in general, my personal opinion is every uh, Quebecois I've met is uh, welcomed into. Not even, you know, I'm not even saying just me. My my general my general circles. Yeah. Of uh, my friendship, just my friendship, social circles. You know, they love Quebec. They love Canadians, and and you know, it's just. It's, it's a fun cool. accent, it's, it's, it's cool, you know, it's yeah. well-viewed, well so...
0: Okay, you know, that's I, awesome. I actually had no idea That's a lot of this, so... Yeah, that's a cool answer. And I know that you work with some people that were from Quebec and moved yeah. here, and then they went back and kind of helped with some church stuff in Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool, too, that connection that's forming, in a way.
2: Absolutely, and I feel like, so obviously, uh, Today Hillsong isn't yet represented in, in Quebec, but when it is we're definitely going to be connected you know because we've been translating songs for you know 15 yeah. years now and we've
0: we have all this french content that we could be helping them out with especially because you have a bit of an outsider perspective if you were asked to by someone not from paris or france how do you think you'd be able to loop french people into a box how would you mm-hmm. describe the culture so what would be this is what's characteristic of france this is what makes the people who they are so, I've, I've heard that French people
2: complain a lot. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> in general, I've heard that about French, and especially Parisian, I'd say, again, there's a disparity there between what a Parisian would be like and a French right. would be like. But in general, I wouldn't say they complain a lot, but I would say that they are looking for excellence. They're looking for ways to improve all of the time. And yeah. this is seen across history in the way they manifest and, and, you know, do reforms and, and the way the French protest, in general, it is a culture that says we're not happy with the status quo. We want to see a change. Yeah. And we've seen the fruit of that. Right. right. Even today, I was having a conversation over lunch with some colleagues, just talking about holidays across different countries in the, around the globe. You know, and I don't yeah. know what it is in Canada, but in, in, in France, you get 25 days a year paid holidays you know that's just the basic yeah and i know it's less in the states it's even less in china you know it's i think in china you get five days for your first 10 years of work and then 10 days once you've worked 20 years so something like you know what i mean kind of you work for your holidays uh as you grow but yeah like this is just one aspect of the fruit of this quality of the french i see it as a quality where it's like yeah we're not going to just accept the status quo we want to look into this and there's probably a better way to do this right so, totally it's not only with uh you know holidays it's work conditions is work contracts retirement i know health and medicine you right. know healthcare. yeah when you're out of a job or whatever that's called chomage you know and there's, right. there's so many different aspects where manly People are taken care of. Yeah, people yeah. are taken care of. France is a great country to live in. I wouldn't say yeah. it is, you know, the the first uh, in Europe, at least, when you look at all those figures, you know, there's sure. a difference from, from country to country. But
0: yeah,
2: within even the, the European context, France would be a great place
0: to live in. Awesome. You know? So I'm
2: happy to be here for
0: sure. So then on the opposite side of that. Mm-hmm. What would you say, self-described, what is the biggest issue facing France's reputation today? And what do you think the French people are most concerned about for the future of the country? So obviously, right now,
2: kind of something we have going on is... uh yellow vests yeah kind of i feel like the whole world has heard about that, yeah i you know like i have friends who are completely against the yellow vests and i have friends who are actually yellow vests you know what i mean so i'm like yeah. i've kind of had access to both sides of the argument and what i do know is there are different aspects to it obviously it's not just one fight you know this many different fights but in general i feel like it is the the access to a quality life it's basically you know your purchase power. How do you call that? Yeah. yeah your purchasing power. Yeah. yeah. Your purchasing power. And, uh, yeah, it's the, just the price of things, you know, right. the, the taxation, the way taxation. Okay. works. So talking on a negative aspect of that is just sometimes getting a, a better quality of life does take fighting. And I get that it yeah. does take speaking out for what you believe is, is right. But on the day to day, obviously there's a, you know, you end up suffering from it, you know, just, yeah, you know, with so many strikes, you end up getting, you know, you, you come in work late or whatever, you know. So so it's like you're, you're always kind of in that tension because you, you want your life to work out well. You want your transportation to yeah. work out well. You want to be able to go to your supermarket and do whatever you have to do and buy whatever you have to buy. And then at the same time, you're kind of happy that those workers are actually, you know, striking and, and protesting for what they believe is. right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So So it's, I feel like a negative aspect of all that would be as a you know french citizen now and having to deal with all of that in the day-to-day is yeah. you have to live in the constant tension of i want to just be able to do life and then at the same time is yeah people are constantly unhappy and it's realizing you know right. how do i do i even take sides do i even want to take sides yeah you know, do I want to join the fight or just uh, just live life, live life. <laughs> take things forward you know so yeah french people are definitely concerned about to answer that question the purchasing power that that would be that's the fight you know that is, yeah I, f- I feel like if you have to resume yellow vest obviously this is oversimplifying a complex issue yeah but it, it would be purchasing power and yeah and like the cost of things just the access to a quality life yeah you know there's a lot of people being impoverished and just uh, yeah going into a, a tough situation
0: yeah okay So, after all that said and done, and you being here for a while and your family being here and kind of making those links and getting more of an understanding for the culture and the language, at this point in your life, do you feel like you're more French than Brazilian? Uh How would you answer that question?
2: That's a great question. The same way I never felt fully Brazilian, even growing up, Yeah. I don't feel fully French right now. So I'm like that. I'm a blend. Yeah. (laughs) Which I don't mind, personally. But I feel like a blend. Do you wish you you could say you were one thing? Or are you happy? I'm happy. Cool. I'm happy. So, I believe, long term, everybody's going to feel this way. So, I'm just ahead of some people in yeah, totally maybe a couple of generations but I feel like we're going down an interesting path where everybody's going to be an immigrant of some kind of some sort yeah. at some point you know and in many
0: ways so many people are are already yeah. it's yeah. just
2: realizing that yeah right. that's the reality so the way I identify today is just man I'm a, I'm a blurred line and I'm happy with that cool. I'm happy to just fit in wherever I go if I go to France I feel at home
0: if I go to Brazil I feel at home if I go to the States I can feel at home as well yeah. if I go to Canada for sure haven't been yeah We'll see. Yeah, totally. I think I'm also happy with kind of having that blurred line in the Canadian context yeah. because obviously I'm not white, but I also can't go to Trinidad and people think I'm from there. They there know that go. I'm foreign, right? So. Yeah. It's always been that tension for me, and I've always been fascinated by, like, my dad's yeah. stories of Trinidad, and I've, I've liked going there, but I could never fully integrate, and so I think it's been weird, because part of my journey, I think, growing up is I've always, like, attached to these cultures that have really mm. strong senses of identity, mm. so, like, when I was really young, I always wanted to go to Japan, and, like, I wanted to learn Japanese, and, like, and part of me still does, like, I yeah. think that would be my second language I'd want to learn That's after awesome. French, but... Yeah, and then even, you know, I started French lessons in, like, grade one, and something about it just really caught my heart, and mm. and then when I got here, when I was 20, I was like, wow, this, and, you know, learned about the society and the republic, and, like, yeah. this is so cool, like, they <laughs> they've really, like, nailed down well from my naive perspective in that class i was like wow they really nailed down this concept where everyone can feel like they're part of one place and yeah. you know there's this language that's unique to france and i think growing up in an english speaking country that's not something you really have so right. That automatically drew me in, and yeah, I've told some people that like Paris is maybe one of the only places that I've felt like I can just blend in. Totally. And I think that makes it a really cool place. But yeah, it's cool because yes, I'm happy being a blurred line, and uh, even if even here I am, but I think I've always had this part of me that wants to like fully belong somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. I see
2: that you're caught in the tension, and totally, and it's 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 maybe gonna be a lifelong journey. You know, at the end of the day, what you're looking for is you know the blending in is I feel like that's the way forward it shouldn't it shouldn't be let's remark those lines and make them clearer so that people will really know who is from where you know and I I feel like the the way forward as a society if we ever want to get anything done is going to be you know what european project like europe in itself is a beautiful idea and yeah Mercosur there's the same thing happening in, you know down south in south america so that's yeah. that's where we're going then like people yeah. just get to get used to that and get to learning english and hopefully mandarin you know maybe mandarin yeah. as well and yeah and we'll see where that leads us you know yeah but i super feel like cool. our kids or grandkids are probably going to have be having these conversations a lot less about culture and race than yeah. we are today I totally
0: believe. yeah yeah, it's going to be fascinating to look back even on these types of conversations and just think about what a weird concept it was I know. <laughs> to be talking yeah. about it. Yeah, cuz like even I I make the joke too like I probably will look like what most of the world will look like in Absolutely. 30 years. Lots of people will look like me. No one will care about what your parents are, totally, you know. It's totally. it's so interesting.
2: Yeah, and you see some you see this happening in some places. Like I love that idea of like I work with Luxembourg quite a bit, so I'm I'm often there. And yeah. Lux, in Luxembourg, there's a lot of mixed cultures right there, right? So it's it's this island country right in the middle of you yeah know, France, Belgium, Germany. There's all of that happening, and then yeah. lots of Portuguese immigration since the six from the sixties to today. And there's I think something like twenty five percent of the country actually speaks Portuguese today, which is nuts. Wow. So, so originally it's a French speaking country with a yeah. local language called Luxembourgish and not getting into too much detail there but what i find interesting is that whoever you meet out there very often i run into people and they have like a french first name and then a german sounding last name Weird. or a brazilian first name or like portuguese sounding first yeah. name and then a french sounding last name like you like me so <laughs> i find it interesting yeah. that i'm working there right now because i fit right in i said I, I introduce myself as pedro Mitro, and people go like yeah awesome nice to meet you i'm
0: like joan uh you know what i mean (laughs) like yeah that's (laughs) amazing feel right at home (laughs) so it's like you were crafted to be luxembourgish after all these years (laughs)
2: obviously you kind of rationalize for everything so like you will always find something to say i could fit in here yeah that's so cool but i i think it's interesting i think it is a sign of where society in general is going because the lines have been blurred for quite a while there totally you know what i mean and that's what it's going to look like everywhere in europe and then probably between the states and Canada and Mexico, you know, down the path. So yeah. So yeah, it's like we should all get ready for that. I
0: I think I hope you enjoyed this special episode, one near and dear to my heart, pertaining to a bit of the French world. One that a lot of my listeners wouldn't have been familiar with. Do you have a different experience that could add to this discussion? I'm doing a special compilation of many stories surrounding this topic so if you think you have something to add to the conversation, if you have experience as a French speaking person in a French territory, or if you have French heritage, or if you're a Francophile like myself, send me a message by filling out the form at josiahpodcast.com contact. If you enjoyed this episode in particular, I would also encourage you to check out my episode on Franco-Albertan culture found on season one with my guest Joelle Courteau Willard. The subculture of Franco-Albertans in this province is a fascinating one, and if you look hard enough, there are French communities and French people everywhere you look. It's a rich world out there, and a common thread is certainly the language. Speaking of Alberta, I do want to make a quick mention of the great network of podcasts that Anticulture is a part of, the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Check out my show and more like it at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss my special Paris episodes coming soon, and I'm so looking forward to hearing from you as we continue this discussion online and through my special mini-project. Please consider contributing where you can, even if it's just a tweet or a DM to or by becoming a patron. Thank you so much for tuning in and hearing my dear friends and I discuss something not usually discussed. It's fun for me to imagine both Pedro and Zena walking around Paris and Montreal and not being given a second thought as to their cultural stories. However, we got exclusive access today and what incredible stories they are. What's your story and what questions are you asking the people around you? Let's continue to challenge the concept of culture together. I'll talk to you again soon on November 22nd for another episode of Anti Culture season three. I'm your host, Josiah Sininen, and thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed.